Microphone check. One, two, one, two. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a title race again. City did the unthinkable last night and beat Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. Joining me to bask in this morning's afterglow, I've got Howard and Steve. Good morning, Howard. Good morning. How are you feeling? <laughs> uh, my body says not very well, <laughs> but my brain's okay. So Your spirit is fine. Steve, how are you doing, mate? I'm good. I'm feeling hungover and I only had three pints. So Ooh. I think it was just the tension and yeah. what a nervous night that was. Yeah, the the game itself probably made you a little bit punch drunk. It was a <laughs> it's one of the most intense games of football that I've seen City be involved in, for sure. Um, all right, before we get there, quick opening question. Uh, Howard, does this result just reiterate the nonsense about... that would reiterate that it was nonsense when t- people were talking about the league not being competitive. Yeah, I mean, it's just a nonsense. There's two different ways looking at competitiveness. I mean, firstly, that's just just people have to write stuff, don't they? They have to fill so much space that you're just going to, there's always going to be nonsense out there. But I've seen, you know, writers I really respect talk nonsense over the last couple of months about a lot of things. Uh, there's two ways to look at it competitive, as in the whole division, and there's a separate argument there about the top six pulling away, so to speak. And I think United will be in the top six now that they have, you know, have got rid of the poison, so to speak. Uh, well, they are in sixth, aren't they? However many games they win, they'll still be in sixth. I think the other argument is competitive is about a league title, uh, you know, the chase for a league title. And that is utter nonsense. And even if it wasn't competitive, nothing's changed from the past, to be honest. So City win it once by 19 points. Don't think they'll get 100 points again. I don't think they'll win by 19. And all they were doing was beating the 18 of United in 1999-2000, I think. And I doubt at that time people were talking about how the Premier League had been ruined because United were dominant. Mm. And they won, you know, I don't know, did they win three in a row around then? But they had obviously possibly their best side at that time. Uh, teams have won it by 10 and 11 plenty of times. I think even Leicester won it by 10 points. Uh yeah, it's 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 nonsense. Yeah, if I mean, if if Liverpool had just stretched away, well, that's just an event, so to speak. It doesn't tell us any conclusions. It just shows that you know they were better this season. It doesn't mean that next season they'll dominate. You know, for the next four years, just yeah, it's utter nonsense for me. Mm. Steve, do you think that the um, do you think that actually it probably it's helped to kill a narrative that could have sprung up this kind of whole thing about, you know, uh, it's a different version of, it's not fair that city have got their resources and Guardiola because it makes it harder for everybody else. So in that sense, is it a little bit of a blessing that Liverpool are as good as they are? Because it kind of, by the virtue of the fact that we have some sort of title race, it means that that narrative has really been killed before it, was allowed to generate any momentum because I felt like a month ago we were almost going to get to a stage where by February, March, if City were top of the table by 10 points, it'd almost be people going, well, City don't count. Let's not even talk about them. You know, the t- the, the league is between the, the 19 teams below City. It wasn't far away from that, in my opinion. So in that sense, do you think that it is a little bit of a good thing that we've got a race? Absolutely, 100%. I think that is um, a blessing that we've given that a swerve. Um, because that is what people were kind of getting ready to do. 
you could see that the preparations were put in place for that. The articles were starting to spring up. And I have to say, although that's been kind of um, killed at birth now, we shouldn't forget that's what they were planning. We shouldn't forget that's what was kind of um, rising up. Um, and it was originating not from the fans, but from the media. And that's, mm. a, that's a critical point as well. So let's not forget that, you know, in the future, if um, the media are kind to us or fair to us, that's what they were planning during, you know, whilst we're in possession of our greatest ever team, during our greatest ever era. They wanted to demean it and they wanted to belittle it. And most of all, they wanted to dismiss it. So um, that's been deprived them. And we shouldn't forget that. I mean, just um, echoing what Howard said, you look at the league now and the six points between the top three after 21 games. There's six points between four, fifth and sixth for the Champions League, last Champions League spot. Six points between them after 21 games. There's a fascinating duel going on to, to finish best of the rest, if you like, and secure the last Europa League spot uh, with Leicester, Watford, Wolves, West Ham all in the running. And then you've got six points, is it? Or let me have a look here now. Well, God, just a handful of points between the bottom six in a fascinating relegation battle. With Burnley now showing a lot more fight and Cardiff showing fight. Southampton with a new manager and looking greatly improved. Fulham, the great unknowns. And Benitez, the master tactician. So this is a really, really interesting, gripping league. Uh, and... I mean, to be fair, I'm just relieved, not just on what we were talking about there with City, but as a league as a whole, because people were kind of, as Howard said, talking a lot of nonsense. And I'm glad that's being put to bed, really, because we've now got three or four months to look forward to. to relish, really. Absolutely. Uh, as a, a series of great unknowns. Mm, I think that remains. No one's retained the title for 10 years, as it stands. And let's also not forget that we started last night in third before the game we're in third in the league so mm. you could take Liverpool out and we still weren't top uh, and until someone retains and even if someone retains it that doesn't kill the league that's happened before Chelsea have done it United have done it it might not be that common but it doesn't signify the end of the competition you know when, when a team's done it five times in a row then we can talk about it I hope we do do it five times in a row over the next yeah. five years to be honest Dom. we had this conversation previously I'm past the point of of caring in terms of you know it being competitive in the wider sense. I would love City to to win the league by 10, 15 points every season. But I do think this season, um, just to go back to my point at the start, it's probably for the best that, that it's unfolding in the way that it is. Because I do think they were ready with their asterisks. I do think they were ready to start, you know, almost putting lines through City's titles, putting asterisks next to them, saying that they're unfair, saying that they've, they've somehow cheated. Um, whereas I think now, because of the money that Klopp has spent and the fact that they are challenging, I think that a lot of that narrative will hopefully be be buried for good. Right, enough. I want to talk about last night's game. Um, Line-up, Laporte, left-back, heads went, absolute meltdown. Um, <laughs> was, there, yeah. was that online? Or? Yeah, I, I, I didn't say so. I, Absolute. I mean, you know, my <laughs> my tweet. I think summed it up perfectly. Pep's pepped it here. Let's just sit back and and, and see what happens. Um, was there a sense in and around the ground? What? Let me. The question that I want to ask to both of you is, in a roundabout way, is does a selection like that almost affect the attitude of the crowd? 
in the run-up to the game. Because I know that from my point of view, I mean, who am I to second-guess Pep Guardiola? But I did. And I spent the hour before the match kicked off basically repeating over and over again, why would you do that? Do you know what I mean? Like it was some sort of crazy outlandish decision and he had no idea what he was doing. And part of me in that hour started to think, shit, I hope this actually doesn't affect the atmosphere at the ground. I hope people don't go in with that kind of, you know, negative tension because of a because of a team selection. It, there was an, there was, I mean, obviously it's a very, very, very big difference, but there was an element of that kind of two-man midfield against Barcelona that Pellegrini picked once where everybody just kind of went, as soon as the team came out, it was like, what's he done here? Um, did either of you feel that way? Stay, I'll start with you. No, absolutely not. And, and nor was it the case around the ground. I think if it was against Barcelona or Real Madrid, um, I think that might well have been the case. And, you know, as yourself, I saw kind of a meltdown on Twitter. Um, and that was kind of extraordinary. But at the ground itself, I think a big element of it was that it was Liverpool and that a lot of hatred has, has kind of sprung up between the two clubs and the two fan bases recently. Um, and everyone just had their eyes on Liverpool uh, rather than the actual team selection. I mean, when it came out, it was almost like um, a secondary concern to, you know, singing another song in their direction. So... Uh, I think that was a that was a positive, really, because, like I say, if it was against Real Madrid in the Champions League quarterfinal, for example, um, it might well have affected the mood of the crowd, but not in this instance at all. Okay. Um, no, the only way it would transmit is if the had made seven errors during the match, and the actual decision proved so key that you know it lost us the game. Then it would transmit okay. the crowd. I think so. How did you feel, Howard? Like just on a on a personal level, when the team sheet comes out, did you have that kind of almost ref, reflexive kind of what the that I had? Not quite what the just I was a bit anxious. <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. I didn't have an answer. Clearly, Walker is out of favour here. So I mean, I think we all expected. I'd still say that was prefer that to Zinchenko. So. Yeah. If I'd seen his name on there, I would have yeah. been full, you know, bald fraud on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I t- yeah, so, we know, I mean, he played there last year, didn't he, against Liverpool, Laporte. But, you know, he's been here a lot longer now. He's a lot, you know, he's more, more composed and more advanced in his career and as a footballer. Uh, I was worried, but I don't think there was a like. It was always going to worry me, that position, so... There was literally not a lot Pep could do that wouldn't have me worried. Obviously, I just expected Danilo to switch over and Walker to come back in. Mm. Walker's clearly uh, out of favour. He's had his rest, so it can't just be fatigue anymore. Uh, Clearly not impressing Pep. So, yeah, I I was concerned. But as I say, I was always going to be by that position. I thought they would target it. Mm. Uh, Which which they didn't, you know, kind of shows what I know, so... Well, I mean, I don't know if it's about... I think I, I said in the pre-match show that I felt like we would try and play down our left-hand side and keep it away from their right. And I felt as though we did do that. Um, yeah, but that's us targeting their right back as well. So Yeah. You know, specifically. So. Yeah. Um, just the opening kind of... Oh, in fact, no, I'll ask you this first. Um, Liverpool's midfield three, Henderson, Wijnaldum and Milner, 
Like, before I tell you what I think, what did you think, Steve? When you saw that midfield three, was there, did you feel that that would, were you surprised, for example, that there's no Fabinho and there's no Keiter and there's no Shakiri? I was relieved there was no Shakiri and I was surprised there was no Fabinho. Um, I, I, I was kind of looking on Twitter at the Liverpool lot and what they were saying about it. Um, they have, you know, a great deal of kind of concern about Klopp's kind of um, faith in that particular trio. Yep. Um, but I also saw a lot of Liverpool fans saying, right, lads, well, we don't agree with this, but we obviously have to put a lot of trust in Klopp for what he's done this season. He, you know, really values this three. So let's just put our kind of judgment to one side here. Um in the same vein as what we do sometimes with Pep, of course. So, personally speaking, I was quite pleased to see that midfield three. Um, Milner, the inclusion of him always worries me because he always plays well against us and I can't stand him. Uh, well, now always plays well against us. Um, that was possibly his, his worst showing last night and it, that still was a 6 out of 10. Mm. Um, Henderson I don't rate and I thought he could be got at. So, um, yeah, I was quite relieved to see that, that midfield three. It was a very workmanlike midfield. And frankly, I'm sure we're going to, well, I hope we're going to get onto this. Fernandinho, Eton for breakfast, didn't he really? He had all three on toast. So mm. um, one against three. <laughs> well, of, oh, of course, with Bernardo Silva. But uh, in terms of the combative nature of that game, Fernandinho bossed him. And uh, mm. that was wonderful to see. See, I'll be perfectly honest. When I saw that midfield three, I panicked um why because i think that that's how they've been so dominant in in periods against us in the last kind of 18 months i feel that that klopp is happy to forego technical quality what you you describe it as workmanlike i describe it as just fucking dirty Right, I think that one of the things that I, I feel as though they've been overly physical against us, and that's one of the things, one of the ways that they've got the upper hand on us um, during Klopp's time is that they've been really physical and without slagging our players off, I think some of our players have, particularly in midfield, have wilted against the challenges um in previous games. So when I saw that midfield three, instinctively I was like, oh right, so Klopp doesn't want to have a game of football tonight. He wants to do the same thing again. He wants to win that game by basically kicking our midfield off the park and not allowing us to to do the things that we're really, really good at. Yeah, it was interesting what, what Klopp said after the game, didn't he? He praised City for that. The fact that, you know, I can't remember what the wording was, but essentially he said this was not the usual city. This was kind of a dirty city, and he meant that in a positive manner. Yeah, I mean, I I think that what we got last night was a little bit of... I imagine that there was a little bit of Guardiola going, you know, you, so the eleven have to decide what happens because they will do what they always do. So... Are you ready to stand up to that? And I think that, you know, we'll talk about individual players, obviously, later, but I think in general, as the kind of first point or the first thought on the game itself, it felt like from very early on that Fernandinho and Bernardo Silva in particular 
were basically going to go, right, well, we, we're we ready here. We'll have this fight, whether it's Wijnaldum, whether it's Milner, whether it's Henderson. When they have the ball, we will bully them in the way that they bully us. And when we have the ball, we will try and ensure that they don't bully us. Um, Howard, how did you see the kind of early stages of the game? How do you see it sort of panning out? Do you think both sides were a bit cagey? Did it feel a bit like the Anfield game in that you felt a bit like there was a handbrake on from both of them? Uh, not really, no. Yeah, I mean, they don't want to pull forward because they know either side because they know they'll get destroyed on the break probably. But no, it didn't feel cagey. It felt intense. Uh, yeah, and you could say well, if there's not loads of chances then it's cautious football. But I just thought it was just high intensity uh, football, you know, just real, I don't know the word to put in it really. It certainly wasn't, it was very different. It felt different. I don't know, I've watched, I watched the Anfield one on telly, of course, this one I'm in the ground and it's very different experience just because of that. But it did feel a lot more, uh, I think there was a lot more intent from the sides. If they could have, you know, if they could have got away with it, they would have, there could have been plenty of goals, but I thought there was just a lot of great, great energy from both sides, and it felt a lot different to the Anfield game for me. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it was cautious. I think uh, teams that that first goal, I think they, they realised how important it could be to concede the first goal. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't say it was a, it was, certainly wasn't gung ho football, but I felt mm. City started with absolute real intensity, and it was very happy with the first 15 minutes, even if there weren't loads of chances. But then I felt Liverpool just found the feet a bit and they had their period. Then it switched a bit back to us and it was just no one really, you know, the the half as a whole, no one outplayed the other team. It was just, but I thought it was absolutely fascinating. Even if, you know, even if there wasn't tons of chances, I thought it was absolutely fascinating there. And I think the Anfield game, let's be honest, if I was a neutral watching that Anfield game, I'd have been pretty bored. Mm. nothing yes. really happened for a lot of the game this was very different because it always felt like something was about to happen in this game so yeah that's a good show actually um Steve was it a little bit of a kind of you know the early stages of a heavyweight boxing match in 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 the kind of the the first third of the uh of the match as a whole and in particular in that first half and just sort of leading on to that how do you view the Obviously, the other than the goal, the two big, big, big talking points of the half kind of come really close to each other, and that's Mane's chance and and uh, Vinny's tackle on on Salah. So let's kind of deal with with Mane's chance first. Is that is that part of the ebb and flow of the game, or does that feel like it's almost Liverpool's first real foray into City's half? And the, our defence do that thing that they sometimes do where they just aren't quite intense enough because it's their first real attack that they're facing. Oh, no, I, I don't... Well, I wouldn't attribute it to that. It was, it was basically just a, a chance. And and, um, and that's that, really. We're going to you know, concede chances against Liverpool at some point. In fact, it was a, their first meaningful attack. It's just one of those things. I wouldn't attribute it to anything other than that. I would say that I was greatly impressed and encouraged by how we started the game. I think we were controlled. There was a controlled intensity to it. Uh, and it was very similar to how we start games against a lesser ilk, 
which really encouraged me. Um, what I would have been less encouraged by is if we had gone gunko and we'd really gone at them and it had been just a case of a coin flip in the air and let's see who outscores the other. Um, whereas what I saw was a, a great deal of focus um, and that can continued as well because, as you said, there was the Mane hit the post, there was the company, you know, was it yellow, was it red? Uh, there was the, the, the bizarre kind of um, uh, Stones goal line clearance. Then later on, you've got their equaliser. Now, at those two points in the game, City could wobble. They didn't. They maintained their controls, focus and intensity throughout the game. Um, and that really impressed me. That's the way to beat a team like Liverpool. And I think that's what Guardiola meant after the game as well when he said that's how he wants us to play in the Champions League. Um, you know, it's a psychological thing more than anything else. Um that we went into the game believing in ourselves, but maintaining that belief and most of all, just keeping your discipline, which kind of leads me on to the company one. I, it's really hard when you're watching it at the game and you're behind the goal. It, it, it's, you know, the whole perspective is, is kind of out of kilter. Um, so when I first saw it, I didn't even think it was a yellow. Um, <laughs> I, I really didn't, honestly. No, and, I didn't, no. Uh, it's, it looked kind of, reckless but it was a necessary recklessness which a ref should have to factor in there you know he has to make that challenge and he makes that challenge and he gets the ball that's how I remember it I may be wrong um, what do you two think um, go, go on Ace on you first I'm, I mean the I'm wobbling on my opinion of this <laughs> the, uh, the armchair point of view is uh, that it was barely a yellow card and right. it's really not a red card for me. I think that um, if the argument is that he's reckless and he's out of control, I think that, you, I mean, maybe by the letter of the law, there'll be some referees that'll go, well, you know, both feet were off the ground there. Ergo, you must go. Um, but for me, he doesn't really get Salah, but he gets all of the ball. Do you know what I mean? So, and so it, he does get the ball then. I, he gets, he gets, he gets yeah, all of the ball so because, it, yeah. yeah, because yeah. Salah jumps, right? So Salah jumps and Vinny slides. So Vinny's effectively ends up with the ball between his legs. Do you know what I mean? Because Salah yeah. doesn't make any contact with the ball, doesn't seem to try to make any contact with the ball. So it's one of those where, you know, it's almost, it, it almost felt like there was maybe a couple of, couple of centimetres in the actual contact itself. And if he doesn't make any contact, then people are absolutely on their feet and applauding what an incredible tackle it was. So no, just not a red card. And also just within the the, the context of the intensity of the game and the way that those games have been previously refereed, it'd be really disappointing, I feel, if we'd ended up with a ref last night who was going to go the opposite of what we've seen over the last 18 months, which for me, is very much that Liverpool have played like that on the edge every time we've played them. Yeah. And they've got away with loads of stuff. And it's funny because when you go back, and I tweeted it earlier, when you look at Robertson's challenge on Sterling last season in the penalty area, both feet off the ground from behind, and he doesn't make any contact with the football, and nothing is given. So 
I said this, and for me, I just want to say this very briefly. I think Klopp was really ungracious in what he said about Vinny in the red card last night. Not because it could or it couldn't have been a red card, but because he should know that his own team play like that regularly. And particularly against City, they have played on the edge. And it was not, you know, it was what, like three, four weeks ago where Van Dijk made a challenge like that and he got asked afterwards, should it be a red card? And he just went, don't care, move on. So it's like, yeah, it was it was a really ungracious thing for, for Klopp to say. Um but for me, no, it, it wasn't a red card. Um, Howard. Still call it bad defending now. By, by Vinny? Yeah. But, but because, I mean, to use the worst cliche in the world, you've seen them given blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it makes, it gives the referee a decision to make. And we don't want to be putting ourselves, some of the decisions we've had against Liverpool in the last 18 months, we don't want to be in that position, have, playing with 10 men with, I don't know, an hour to go. But he, I know he he's, he's chasing play. a loose ball, but I, I think you know the the better thing. I know it's easy with hindsight, sat here watching it, but you know you just block him and take a yellow card and do a tactical foul. But yeah, I just if as soon as you leave the ground, you know, yeah, you doubt you're you're relying on it, you know, a human being and how he interprets that, and it it's not clever defending for me. So. Can I just say, um, feel it's a bit harsh on Vinny that is that's the pass from Stones that's. You know, oh, I know that, but that doesn't mean that he should then launch himself. I'm not saying it's a red card. I don't think it quite is, but okay. we just don't need... Oh, yeah, you know, I think just he, the run of decisions he... we've had, it's like, <laughs> you know, just waiting for the red card to come out, basically, because it would just sum up every Liverpool game, in a way, for the last mm. yeah, few years. Uh, yeah, but I, and he I'm... knows that he's putting himself... Yeah, he knows he's putting himself in danger when he... Any play that flies in like that, so. I think that's really harsh, Howard. I think I think st- the pass from Stones just it puts him in the it puts him in a in a no win situation because I think if he doesn't go in like that, if he tries to do something somehow cleverer, I think he's more likely to end up with a red card because if he doesn't throw himself into the challenge, then he's definitely not getting the ball, and if he's definitely not getting the ball but, you know, he clips Salah or he tries to block him or whatever, there will really be that thing of, he was the last man, that's red card, that. Um, whereas by kind of flying in and making sure that he takes the ball, it does give the referee uh, a decision to make. Steve, do you want to be the tiebreaker here? Who's, who's... I'm, I'm leaning towards you, Jason. I, I will say that Vinny has previous for this, but I think in this particular instance, um, you know, got to give him a lot of leeway because I don't think he had any choice in that. And as you said, I, I think he, he really did make the right decision. I, I can only go on kind of seeing it in real time. And in real time, for me, I don't think he could have got to Solo without flying in. I think, yeah. you know, Solo would have been clean through. So, yeah. And in real time, I was fuming he gave a free kick. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought it was an amazing challenge. Uh, again, yes, two feet off ground, reckless. Of course, you know, that's, that's the rules these days, I know. But uh, from what, where I was, it, it just looked like he got it cleanly and it was a fantastic challenge. Mm. I don't know if um, there is a rule about two feet off the ground. I think it's just how people have interpreted dangerous play. Yeah. That they've kind of said, control. oh, two feet equals that. I don't yeah. know. Well, reckless, I think. I think. I think uh, out of control, control, yeah, is yeah, the thing. I think, it's, yeah, I think two feet off the ground is considered out of control. But I think um, one that is right foot was back on the ground by the time he actually got to so he started with two feet off the ground but it was just an outstretched leg by the time he got to the ball so. yeah but this is what I mean that in the Which, end for know, me he's got the ball so no. 
Yeah. He's got very little of the man and he's got all of the ball. So for me, it's one of those where it's like, move on. Um, this is a good moment, I think, to talk about what Liverpool did well. Um, because I think that there is a uh, there is a stage after City's kind of early control where it feels like Liverpool get a little bit of a foothold in the game. Um, they're better than... I mean, we've, we've already discussed that they're better than last season. But in those moments where they were beginning to get a little bit of a foothold in the game... Steve, how did they look to you? Did they look like a team that were playing at the level that, that City play at? Like what I'm trying to get out here is how good were they? Well, that's a thing. Last night, coming home, I was ecstatic. But I was ecstatic, kind of 80% of it was relief. And what I realised was basically last night for me was, and I may be stating the obvious here, but it was the avoidance of calamity. It was the avoidance of catastrophe, which would have been to go kind of, you know, 10 points behind them or to, to stay, you know, keep it at a status quo of seven points. I don't think that would have been surmountable. I think it could well have been Liverpool's title from there on in. So it was the avoidance of that happening, um, which was the main thing from last night. But then when that kind of settles and you get home and you think about the game, Liverpool are good. They're very, very good. And that's mm. the first time I've seen them live this season. And, you know, it it, it, it chafes at me, just as, like it chafes at every City fan, how much Van Dijk is talked up by the media. Putting all of that aside, because I don't give a crap what they think, I'm just talking about us here now. He's a really, really, really top-draw defender. I mean, he really is. And he has made such a huge difference to this Liverpool team. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of came home last night and when I started to kind of mull over the game, I was like, oh, crap. That Of course, I've seen him numerous occasions this season, but I don't know, just something about how the fact that Bernardo Silva had to be give a 10 out of 10 performance, Fernandinho had to give a 10 out of 10 performance, Leroy Sane had to track back more than I've ever seen him track back. We had to be show more belief than we've shown in any game this season, purely because we needed more belief than we would against, say, a Huddersfield or a Fulham. And yet, we just got over the line. And yet, they had numerous chances. You know, they had kind of goal line scrambles galore, um, where we actually got fortunate because the ball could have gone anywhere at, at that point in time. So, yeah, they are good. They are the real deal. Uh, they're not going anywhere. And frankly, that go, going back to what we talked about earlier, that could be seen as a kind of blessing. I wouldn't want this to be the way. Of course, I want us to be dominant and to be out in front for, for seasons to come. But maybe we could be looking at a fantastic duel in yeah. the next two or three seasons. And and there, there is a contrast in, in styles. And there, there are two fascinating coaches who, are, who live in each other's heads. So... <laughs> You know, that's great. That's, 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 you know, as a football fan, I can step back and go, that is brilliant. But as a City fan, it's like, oh, crap. Yeah, they, I they do are think the real deal. You're just I trying to create a rivalry, Steve. I do think they live a little bit in each other's heads because, you know, I think both the team selections point towards that. I think that Klopp second guesses himself by picking that midfield. I think the way that Fabinho in particular has performed in the last month, I think the way that kind of... The Fabinho, Kaita and Wijnaldum midfielders work for them in moments 
in terms of its kind of goal threat going forward and its technical quality, I think that he, uh, I wouldn't be happy if I was sat on their side because I'd be going, we can football City and you've picked a midfield to kick them and to play. You know, I, I think Steve's absolutely right. I think they're a really, really, really high-level team, but I think they're a really, really, really high-level team La- on last night's showing because they've got Virgil van Dijk and because they're prepared to put balls into channels for Mane and Salah all night long. And I think that, that those... Having the, having the combination of that rock solid defense and being able to, because you've got the, maybe, cause it's not really a, that's not really a criticism. I'm not slagging them off. They've got the quality to find those channels to put yeah. our defenders under pressure regularly. They've got the quality to when they're being pressed at a ridiculous rate by our players to find a pathway from back to front to play those passes quickly and accurately um I, w- I will say as well um just just to follow on from what i was saying um you know every muhammad ali needs a joe fraser you know you want someone up there with you that's what kind of um proves greatness if you like um and i'd also say and i don't wish to demean liverpool or, or belittle them in any way it's really not but it's incontestable that they've been extremely fortunate this season oh, they have They've had the breaks and they haven't had the breaks because they've had the breaks in terms of things going their way and they have avoided injury better than anyone. And that can't continue. It just can't. It's You would look at that Liverpool team and you think you take Salah out there and you put Daniel Sturridge in or you take kind of Van Dijk out there and you put kind of Matip in or whoever. Um, they would be significantly weakened. Then you look at what how we've managed. You know, that offers me a great deal of hope. Mm. Howard, do you want to chime in on 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 how good Liverpool are before we talk about how much better Aguero is? Uh, no, I agree with everything you said. Basically, uh, I think what impressed me is well, they can play out from the back, you know, like we can, and just their awareness of the the play at their teammates' positioning. Yeah, I thought it was just absolutely superb. They didn't even have to look a lot of the time. Yeah, to find little spaces, just finding space. That is what it's about, really, for both teams. Players would just, you know, interact and find those little gaps, half spaces, whatever. And yeah, I just felt that I mean, their passing was very, very good, and you just knew that, yeah, it just it's it won't what made the game even more intense. You know, a great game, just an absolutely amazing spectacle. Is that both teams were just? I mean, I've seen one journalist say it was low on quality that game last night. Who said that? Jamie Jackson in a tweet oh. and it was like oh, I'm sorry if you don't I gave Bernardo Silva 6 out of 10 uh, I'm sorry if you think that was a low quality game then you're the sort who just wants he's a fiction four, writer 6-4 <laughs> <laughs> if you, you, know, if you want 6-4 score lines is your definition of a good game mm. you know like or maybe Bournemouth against Watford the previous night that was not a game short of quality that was just 22 players absolutely on the edge yeah, from the absolutely. start to the end. Yeah, um, Steve Aguero's goal. Yeah. I've seen people say that Lovren should do more. So a couple of things actually. Firstly, in the build-up, is that a penalty to him first? Um, and oh God, secondly, do you want to criticise Lovren or do you want to talk about how Aguero is just a big game player, big goal player? 
and maybe Liverpool don't quite have that yet. Haven't they? Haven't got players who have shown in big moments in big big games that they can pull it out the bag. I, I don't know about the latter point. I think we do have those players. Um, I completely forgotten about that. The uh, so was that where he was pushed? He's pushed like Van it's Dijk, I think. Yeah, absolute one hundred percent stonewall penalty. That and I completely forgotten all about it because I was concentrating so much on the Sterling one later on. It felt pretty blatant to me, um, yeah. and it, it all almost felt like um, to talk about Aguero. And, and the goal, it almost felt like when the ball comes back to him the second time, he's still got the anger from the fact that he thinks he should yeah, have a penalty. Like, like Rooney against Newcastle. And that's almost where that finish comes from, that it is just like proper eye of the tiger stuff, where it's just yeah. like, right, I'm not having this. Um, what a finish that was, man. What yeah. a finish. And I couldn't, I was right behind it. It was like, it was incredible. He, he had a gap of, of you know, uh, a few centimetres basically to aim for and, and he got it it was uh, it's like Luke in the trenches of the Death Star beautiful um, it was absolute exact uh, if you both remember the explosion after Gabriel Jesus's goal in the first couple of minutes of the second leg of the Champions yeah. League game how did the, the the reaction to Aguero's goal last night compare was the explosion even louder I thought I was at the turnstile still <laughs> The Champions League one. I was going up the stairs when we scored. Oh, nice. There was, was huge delays outside. So it was. It was. Didn't even see a night. score against Liverpool in the Champions League last season. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was limbs last night. It was incredible. And um, I will say that there was, you know, before the game, I loved that there was so much emphasis placed on the Liverpool fans um, and that whole rivalry thing. It was kind of annoying that when we scored. Basically, within a space of five seconds, everyone just turned to taunt Liverpool fans. It's like, hang on a minute, I want to get a celebrate the goal here. But no, it was limbs. It was absolute limbs. It was amazing. Um, and then, yeah, to be fair, I also turned towards Liverpool fans. Did the um, did the timing of the goal change? Almost change everything in terms of the halftime team talk and and how the teams come out in the second half. Or do you feel that kind of, it was almost like the, part of me feels like the goals happened separate to the game itself. Yeah, yeah I don't think sense. anything changed in the, the rhythm of the match, to be honest. Throughout. Yeah. I mean, there were little things, yeah, where one team would become a bit more dominant for a bit, but no, I don't think the team, yeah. I mean, we'll discuss after the equaliser. I think that that's the important part of the game. Let's, t- let's talk about the equaliser now, actually, because I think that's the big it's just so frustrating. But at the same time, is there a sense that it's just a really, really good goal? I've seen Stefan say that Danilo should have done better. I've seen other people say others should do better. Part of me feels like it's just football and, you know, I don't know. Like it's one of them where I knew Robertson is a threat and the, the run is perfect and the timing is perfect. And Danilo's just inches away. And, Steve, where, where, where are you on their equaliser in terms of apportioning blame or looking at it from the point of view of they're a really good team and they were always at some point going to put three or four passes together and get the, themselves into a scoring position? I'd say the latter. I've, I've only seen it in real time. I haven't seen it since. So I can't recall any um, 
supposed kind of um, shortcoming from Danilo at all. I just remember Robson crossing. I remember uh, Fabinho from very close range, and that was it. That's all I can remember. Um, a fascinating part for me was what Klopp said after the game about no other team this season has got that close to the City goal. And if you look at their chances, so many of them are, like, like I said earlier, just goal mouth scrambles. You know, they, that was obviously a strategy of theirs. Um, and on this instance, it paid off because they scored from, what was it, like two yards out. Um, so that was kind of really interesting. I want to go back and watch the game again, which I will do tonight. Uh, I want to see how they managed to do that and why they managed, why they did that. I'll tell you um, what I'll tell you what I think uh, because I think it's it's an important point. I think that what what I've seen in the last kind of month six weeks, um, and I don't know how much of this is a tactic and how much of this is actually players not tracking back. It comes 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 back to this idea. So, in the build up to the goal, um, Trent Alexander Arnold cuts inside from the right hand side with the ball, and Leroy has stood a good five, six yards off him and basically allows him to wander in field on his left foot, stop, think about it and make the the initial cross that Robertson then connects with and, and cuts across for Firmino. And the question is, where do you where do you stop that? Do you stop it at source? Should should um Leroy be the one who was right up in Alexander Arnold's face? Or is it down to the centre-backs and the full-backs when the cross comes in to make sure they know? Surely Danilo knows that there's going to be a run from Robertson. And if the tactic from... And it felt to me like the tactic from Pep was to say to Sterling, don't track track him into the box. That's somebody else's job. Your job is to kind of sit in this area so that when the ball breaks, you've got space to run into. Yeah. Um, So... The question about whether the cross shouldn't come in in the first place or whether they should deal with it once it comes in, I think is where you can get into the apportioning blame part. But for me, ultimately, I still think that top teams like Liverpool are will at some point get a chance and, and score a goal. And almost the question was more about how we would react so Howard, if you look at firstly, talk to me about whether you think I'm wrong about their goal in terms of it being one of those things, and if it is just one of those things, how do you view the reaction? Yeah, just no, I don't. At some point, yeah, they're gonna. It, all it was, in a way, it was kind of an aimless pass. I mean, it was a good cross sorry into the box, but I, I won't blame anything that happened before that point. It's just a lofted cross from midfield, and yeah. If a player failed to track once, then you know you get punished at this level. But I wouldn't really put too much blame on Sane for that. I think you know across the game as a whole, we pressed almost relentlessly, and you know I couldn't really ask for any more from the players in the effort they put in, the energy, the uh, that came out of them. So yeah, just there's there's a lot there's a few little things there. All the things you've said, uh, there's no huge blame. There's just little things, and it was a well worked goal. If anything, I don't know, just the space for me that Firmino is in at the far post. Mm. That's the one that stands out for me. Company should be much closer to him. Okay. Any one of our players should be. As, uh, yeah, but it was a well-worked goal. It happens. Now, if I was a pessimist, which obviously I'm not, 
<laughs> at that point, our season's going one way and uh, they're going to go on and win this game because, you know, football's cruel and we're rubbish and, God, they're doing it again. They've done a job on us and we couldn't keep a clean sheet. And I thought the response was excellent. Absolutely um, excellent. Was the uh, substitution, which felt almost immediate, um, Gundogan for, for David Silva, um, I was surprised that it wasn't De Bruyne. I'm presuming that yeah. De Bruyne really isn't fit. Uh, in terms of making that sub, was it the right substitution? Like, in, had, they, had had David Silva had enough of an impact that it was a surprise that he was being subbed, or did it feel like the right sub? No, he was one of our least effective yeah, yeah. players on the night. Just didn't work for him. I think when Alden was quite close to him, if mm. I, I, I can remember. Uh, I mean, yeah, we did. The simple things and did a lot of what he does, but it wasn't it wasn't being effective as such. So no no real surprise that he came off. Yeah, of course I expected De Bruyne. And I thought, come on, yeah, we need the goal. This is his time, but we can only Pep uh, rolled the dice, so to speak, and thought, you know, he comes on, he gets injured, and we're losing for a month or six weeks. He's obviously you know just on the cusp of fitness, so. He made he rolled the dice and it was, and he got it right. So that's what he's paid to do. Uh, <laughs> at the time, I thought Gundogan, hmm, what's he going to offer us? But you know, he just shored up the midfield a bit. He's, I think he stuck to the left a bit and just closed a few channels down and just did a quiet job. I think he was more dynamic than than David Silva was in terms of. Yeah. I, I, f- I felt his presence more in the time he was on the pitch than than I did when when David was on the. Um, when, when David was on the pitch. Um, I want to talk about the winning goal, what ultimately becomes the winning goal, because I don't think it gets, I don't think it's getting enough credit somehow. Um, in the ground, Howard, how did it look? The whole move. Do you remember it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, if I remember correctly, Sterling burst and freed into down the right. But what before did, that, before just Demilo. before that, it's, yeah, the, on, it's the ball over the top for Salah to run onto, where Edison comes yeah. charging out, yeah, and wins just, the ball, and the pass, and is it Danilo, is it out to Danilo and then to Sterling, or is the Edison pass directly to Sterling? I don't know, I can't remember. I remember the pass very clear. I mean, I remember him coming out and just calmly just passing it to his right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, I mean, you know, you turn it on your head and like, would Liverpool fans be doing a podcast saying, uh, you know, where were the mistakes in this goal? But to be honest, it was a great run. Aguero, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold did very well, actually, because he was, Aguero just pulled a huge gap. So Trent Alexander-Arnold follows Aguero and he just, that leaves tons of space for Sane. Sterling, great run. They, he finds Sane, but Trent Alexander-Arnold still has the, the, uh, the awareness to leave Aguero and almost get to Sane's shot. You know, yep. it deflects it slightly, but I don't don't think it changed the direction much. I think it actually took it further wide, so it might have gone straight in without that deflection, uh, you know, without the post. Well, I think it was just a nice move. It was just one moment of pure quality where we broke the lines, we found space, uh, well-weighted pass, calm finish. Uh, yeah, oh, just amazing. And that really was limbs in the ground at that point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just looked at the clock and thought, oh God, I wish it had been a bit later, but never mind. Yeah, I bet it was. Um, Steve, 
Is there a... Um, I think Guardiola mentioned after the game that you know, it's the type of performance that he'd like to see in, in the Champions League. Is there a sense that we matured again last night in terms of if you look at if you look at the different challenges that this city team have faced since Pep came in, I think that last night was a unique challenge for many reasons. And I think that throughout the game, they're kind of managing all the different things that, that are being thrown up, knowing what rides on the game in terms of the points and the and the, the difference in the league. Is that move almost a sign that City are beginning to become truly that team? You know, the that one of those European elites where you have that quality and in the big games you make it count. Yeah, I think that's why the goal was so important. That goal has given City that. Totally. Um, whereas previously, I'm not saying that they, they were short of it to any great extent, but you need goals like that. You need kind of confirmations like that within a team to know, okay, we're in trouble, but we get out of it. And you need to get out of it to know in future that you can get out of it. So yeah. that's that's what it gave us last night. It was a huge goal in so many, many different ways. Um, on the coach coming home, some lad said that that's the second most important City goal since Aguero v QPR. And a few people around him just kind of scoffed. And I was like, I can't really think of a more important goal apart from Aguero's. It's, mm. It was that key or potentially that key. Yeah, we don't I mean, know yet, not, do we? Exactly. <laughs> so at this point we, we don't know, but potentially, but because you can add so much more onto it than the points that it give us, um you can put you know the belief into this team, the kind of momentum that it and, and crucially as well, the momentum that it denies Liverpool, because I've discussed on previous pods that as good as Liverpool are, I think so much of our title challenge this year is built on momentum. Yep. And by being unbeaten, that is the best momentum you can get. Um, so we've we've took that away from Liverpool now. I'm not not claiming for an instant that they're going to start crumbling in throughout kind of January. They're not, but there is an element of doubt now. They, we've made them mortal, yep. and um, yeah, and that goal did that. So in every way possible, it was a great goal, and it was such an important goal. I felt that there was uh, I felt there was more goals in it afterwards as well. Um, yeah, we had our chances. Yeah, really I think did. I think that on another day, you the one of those scrambles that they have uh, towards the end, yeah, falls over the line, and we're sat lamenting the chances that do get missed. Um, look, can I want we, to talk about some individuals because I think uh, that can we talk about the penalty? Yeah, let's, let's get that. I mean, for me, I absolute stonewall penalty. No, no question. It's obvious penalty. I just can't. I'm, I might be wrong here, but that's three times that Robertson has now made blatant fouls on Raheem Sterling yeah. in the last eighteen months the, the only without that it any comeback whatsoever. Well, the, the only reason why I can assume that it wasn't given was that Raheem's got his arm over. Yeah. Robertson, so it kind of looks from a certain angle, and we don't know what angle the ref saw it. It looks like Sterling is the one who initiates them both going to ground. But when you see it again, no, it, it's a clear one hundred percent penalty. Mm, yeah, I mean it's a, it's a penalty, and if it happens anywhere outside the penalty area, he gives it as a free kick on top of that. Mm. So he properly bottled that uh, that decision, but that's no 
No and that would have changed. I mean, for, for one thing, that would have given me an extra, I don't know, two and a half months at the end of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. It, 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 was a, it was a big moment, but okay. In the end, it, uh, in the end, it definitely didn't matter. Um, I want to talk about Bernardo Silva and just how... Bernardo Silva was my man of the match. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, uh, but he was my man of the match. And it's difficult for me to see how anybody would give it to anybody else. I just thought that he, more than anybody else, epitomised what was different about City's performance last night from previous games against Liverpool. I, I don't know where he got the... He, <laughs> he ran like Milner last night. You know, he, yeah. he, he had yeah. that... He, he had don't that talk, sort of, mate. Don't yeah. talk. Totally, totally. There could be no other. Ex- there could be no other explanation for a guy who looked tired a week ago to suddenly look like it's the start of the season again. It was an utterly, utterly incredible performance, and people rightly are pointing at the um, the distance that he covered. But both of you talk to me about his quality, just on the ball as well. Can I do a quiz question first? So, yeah, it covered 13.7 kilometres, which is the most by a Premier League player this season. Uh, do you know what whose record he beat? Yeah, his own against Spurs. <laughs> yeah, so he's putting the yards in in some of these big games. Uh, Definitely. Um, but Howard, just talk to me yeah. about his quality, like in terms of what he... How's he different to David Silva? Maybe I should put it like that. Oh, don't ask me stuff like that. No, but it's an interesting conversation. Come on. No, like you a... answer that. No, you answer that then. No, because I've talked enough on this podcast. Howard, how is he different I don't know. from David Silva? <laughs> Fine, you're done, Steve. How is Bernardo different from David Silva? Um, not much, to be honest. I, I think, actually, to be fair, uh, the easier question would be answered is, how is David Silva different to Bernardo Silva? Because David does offer a lot of things that Bernardo doesn't. Um, and that's not taking anything away from Bernardo because David Silva, in my opinion, is the greatest footballer in the world. So, um, well, apart from Lionel Messi, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Last night, what he, what he offered us, um, what, what David Silva doesn't offer us is mileage. And I know what you want us to talk about is quality in the ball, and that is immense too. His awareness, his, his kind of sumptuous touch, his ease with in possession, is kind of um, his eye for a pass. Everything is right up there. It we're talking an absolute baller here, but you can't get past the mileage, mate. I'm sorry, but we have to talk about it. It's eight and a half miles. It's nearly just. It's just short of a mile every ten minutes, which is unbelievable. Nearly a mile every ten minutes, consecutively nine times in a high tempo, pressurized environment. That's unbelievably lethal. <laughs> and the fact that he took on Van Dijk has not been mentioned as well. I mean, we talked about the three-man midfield of Liverpool. He had a thing for Van Dijk last night. He kept on going at him. I yeah. mean, the difference in size and stature of those two people. And yet, Bernardo just didn't back down. He wanted it. He, he initiated it. He was well up for it last night. I love the man. You look at him, you look at this beautiful, pretty... Gorgeous, continental, <laughs> slight of stature. Calm down, mate. Right? I, I'm full of man crush with him. He's like... He he's cultured like as well. He's cultured as... Exactly. And, well yeah. read, well spoken. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You'd take him home yeah. to meet the mum. He can't oh, dress sort of himself, business. though, can he, like most footballers? <laughs> well, yeah, everyone's got a flaw. I, I, I'm a sucker for an Achilles heel. But 
he looks like he's straight out of a Portuguese film. You know what I mean? And yet you see what he did last night. That's that's John Terry, for God's sake. You know what I mean? That's like that's absolute British passion. That's all kind of go on, get stuck into him, Sam. It was all of that. Mm, I yeah. love him. He's the everyman. He's the modern incarnate. He is Mr. 21st century, and I adore him. I remember when Early in the season, he was just, you know, he was absolutely on fire once, game after yeah. game after game. I think well, Pep, we Pep said we've got, well. we've got Bernardo and 10 others at the moment. You know, yeah. after the World Cup, when we were depleted with players and, you know, players needed a rest, he was carrying that team through the early weeks in a way because he was available and he was, you know, putting the performance in. And we've had a lull recently. For a lot of the players have, you know, it's not specific to him. He's just not had the influence on the game. Uh, so what a time to come up with a performance like that. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know where that unbelievable lung-bursting effort came from, but it was crucial, so crucial it, in the game. Well. Yeah. Absolutely 100%. There's no way we would have won that game last night without Bernardo Silva. And what really struck me as well is so many of his runs were... It's, it's, a, it's the wrong word, I apologise for it, but they were unnecessary and yet they were absolutely critical because I noticed there was quite a few times where he was charging down Van Dyke, and you didn't have to, you know. Yeah. It's, it's all very well having a high press, but in that particular instance, Van Dyke has got the ball. He's not going to get there. He's not going to put him under any pressure either, but he still went at him. And what that does is it just transmits such a strong message to the rest of his teammates. It's like, we are not backing down here. We are not kind of seeding an inch, even when we could seed an inch. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I adore the man. Excellent. Um, I think also, uh, I remember when, when he signed, Marty Perrineau said to me, um, you should watch Bernardo. He's Pep's favourite player. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, Pep really loves him on a, in, a, in a way that's different from, from, from other footballers. He loves him like he loved Messi. Um, and I saw a stat the other day that, when I saw it, I was like, wow, okay, that's interesting. So since Guardiola's been at City, um, the players who have played the most minutes under him, Bernardo's in the top three, I believe. I think it's Edison, Walker, and then Bernardo Silva have played the most minutes under Guardiola at City, which is pretty fascinating when you think that a lot of people felt a year ago that he wasn't really getting in the side. And yet, yeah, kind of. I think he ended the season with the second most minutes or something like that. So, I think he's so important. But I think one of the other reasons why he's important. It's not just about he's got all the technical quality. He's obviously got the energy, but and tiny the and the looks <laughs> and he's well read and all of those things. Tiny little tactical thing last night that I absolutely loved. Fabinho came on and immediately Guardiola calls Bernardo Silva over and he goes, "You sit on him." And you watch what happens. He, there's one moment, there's there's two t- different occasions where rather than pressing Fabinho, Bernardo goes and presses Van Dijk. And those two occasions are the two occasions when Liverpool have their most dangerous passing moments in that, that period of the game. But for the rest of the time, Bernardo just goes and sits on Fabinho, which nullifies what Klopp was trying to do. So it's it's not just the the technical quality and the the kind of physical uh, attributes that he shows. It's the intelligence. The, the simply yeah. put, doing the job that you're told to do 
as part of uh, in 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 a system. Um, the other one, obviously, we've got to talk about is Fernandinho. I don't know how we're going to replace him. Uh, Howard, talk to me about how Fernandinho stood up to a midfield that I believe in the past has dominated him. How dare? Well, he was just he just owned the midfield. It's as simple as that. It was. I don't know what happened in the past. Uh, I felt he was isolating a bit in the past. I don't know. I can't remember the team lineups or why he was overrunning away. But there was something different about him last night that he couldn't be overrun. You know, I think he could have just taken on the whole of the team. He was just everywhere, and it's not just defensive midfielder with him. That's the thing. He launches attacks. You know, he's not just winning the ball, laying it off. He's yeah against Henderson. It's just an embarrassment, really, mm. because it's just yeah you know, against that workman. He just really yeah. You know, he's a player who relishes a battle like this. So I don't know why it went. I'll only comment on last night. I don't know why it went bad in the past. It was more of a collective team thing that. But in in that first you know at half time, I was just saying that was just ridiculous from Fernandinho. He was just everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, mopping up, launching attacks, spraying the ball around, and just yeah, stifling their very very uh, dangerous front three. You know, because this was not a pl- this was not a game where really I know Sane scored and Firmino scored. And you say, but in a way, a lot of the game was not about the front threes. You know, we I agree. Thought, it's like the Anfield game. We thought it was going to be four. You know, the the attacking talent that was on uh, display. And yet it ended up nil-nil with few chances. And I felt this was the same again. It was a midfield battle and it was a full-backs battle. And I felt him dominating that midfield was key to this victory. Yeah, uh, completely. Uh, Steve, it, it's a performance like, like last night, just such a massive reminder of the, the enormous job that awaits whoever has to replace Fernandinho. Yeah, I, I think with David Silva we have two players who are irreplaceable. I can't imagine them being replaced to that standard that they offer and the attributes that they give this team. I think to such I think that to such an extent that should it be next year or the year after when neither player played for Manchester City, which is a, a prospect that fills me with dread, I believe that we'd have to change our identity, change our, our style, change who we are you know, tweaked, not not to any great extent, because we can't continue to play as we do now without Fernandinho and David Silva. Um, last night was was a great example of that. Fernandinho just gave one of the most impressive midfield performances that I have ever seen in my entire life. Um, I agree with everything Howard said. The only thing I disagree with is when he said that Fernandinho was everywhere. I think I've seen other examples where he has covered every blade of grass. Last night, it was predominantly central and I think he was helped out in that or allowed to do that in that regard by the fact that Leroy Sane tracked back more than I've ever seen him and Bernardo Silva and, and the distance he covered that allowed Fernandinho basically to just go up and down like a trench I bet there is a trench now and that pitch. <laughs> <laughs> just central up and down up and down just breaking up play he bossed Liverpool's midfield like I said earlier, he bossed three very good footballers. Um, 
He was immaculate last night. Absolutely it's, immaculate. It's funny because he's one of those players who often is is pointed to as a weakness in the City team. In, in particular, whenever I've listened to um, Liverpool-centric uh, media in the last 12, 18 months, and they talk about, in the run-up to City games, they always talk about Fernandinho as a weakness, as somebody who can get, who can be gotten at. And I think that that is a little bit of a culmination of what I talked about earlier, of those kind of, overly physical midfields that, that Klopp picks who then have tried to basically bully off City off the pitch and I think that last night we did everything perfectly we bullied them but on top of that Ferner showed so much technical quality I mean some of his passing last night to the the I think part of what we were so good at last night was the the ability to even if Sterling and Sane didn't have their best games Sterling in particular what he did so well was just stretch the pitch and and yeah and yeah. get us, put them under pressure and get us up the pitch. And part of that was Fernandinho's vision to find those gaps two or three times in behind the fullback for, for Ras to run into. It was just, there's an absolute masterclass. And I think I think I only gave um, Bernardo man of the match because I'd made a decision about 40, 50 minutes in that I was given Bernardo man of the match regardless because he just, he was everywhere, literally. Well, um, I mean, just on that point as well, um, just, you know, to go back to the Southampton game and that fantastic breakaway from Edison, what, which Mares kind of spooned over. And you look at that pass from Fernandinho to Mares. Oh, my word. I mean, can, can you remember that? That was. Oh, absolutely. Pass. Yeah. What yeah. a pass. I mean, the, the, you know, in terms of technical ability, he is right up there, too. Yeah, I think he's got another year in him. That's my vibe. Yeah. I think that we just need to have somebody who can be a backup. Um, I don't necessarily. I, I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced that whoever we sign in the summer, even if it's somebody really expensive, is going to be ready to go in. I think they're going to need a year. Um, they're going to have to play understudy to, to Fernandinho for another year. Uh, look, boys, time is ticking. There's For, for the listeners, uh, as this is the review, the Friday show will be available for you tomorrow on Saturday where Lloyd and the rest of the team will be talking about Liverpool game as well, as well as the week that was and previewing the FA Cup game. But just for, for us to wrap this kind of immediate, the morning after kind of podcast up, um, a few little things that, that I want to ask you. Um Graham Ward asked about De Bruyne not starting and then not even getting on the pitch and whether this is kind of a blessing in disguise. Um, Howard, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's it's worked out well. <laughs> so, I mean, I expected him to come on, as I already said, you know, half an hour to go when Silver went off or, you know, just even before the match started, I thought it will be on at some point. Uh but he's trained for a day and this was probably such an intense game that Pep perhaps thought, no, I can't do it. Can't risk losing. I mean, he's already missed the season so far. We've just got to, we've got enough great players out there. We just leave him for another few days. Maybe, maybe he'll play in the FA Cup again to get match fitness. Uh, who knows? We will see. But yeah, he called it correct. It's easy with hindsight, but it's it's good that we won without having to to risk him. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve, I've got a different question for you. Paul Tierney asked um, whether Liverpool's lack of winning high pressure games showed last night. Uh, is that is that maybe the final hurdle for obviously other than winning something? <laughs> um, 
in terms of the, te- <laughs> the team itself, is that maybe the final hurdle is is winning a, a really truly high pressure game? Because mm-hmm. I mean, there are big games in the Premier League, and then there's you know high pressure ones, and they could have effectively won the title last night because a ten point gap. I think we'd all be waving the white flag. So does this show that lack of winning high pressure games? Possibly, um, but then you look back at the high-pressure games they faced in the past in the Champions League, uh, and they've come through them. Um, and it has to be said as well, you know, two of those games were against us last season. So um, perhaps not. I think mm-hmm. they. I would extend upon it and and say that they they obviously need to win something this season. If they don't, where do they go? Where do they go from this start? that they've had and this team that they have if they don't win something this season you know mentally where do they go it's, it's going to be very very hard for Klopp to kind of keep them at that level going into next season if they end up trophyless um, but yeah I, I think there is something in it here. I, I think you know psychologically it would be a huge boost to have won last night for them Um and I think it was a big thing last week as well when they conceded against Arsenal and then just immediately pulverised them. I think that was a big kind of hurdle for them to get over because, you know, no one's really kind of... Well, I think that was the first time they conceded first all season, wasn't it? So um, for them to lose last night was... I, I just keep repeating myself, but it was important for so, so many ways. And I think that was one. I think it wasn't a case of Liverpool... Uh, been psychologically damaged last night or for it to be, you know, uh, for them to have developed this big game kind of crisis or anything. I don't think that's the case. I think it was more depriving them of what it's given us, which is a real strong sense of belief in, yeah, this is a big game, we're in trouble, but we get through it. Yeah. I don't think it would damage them psychologically at all, to be honest, because at the end of the day, it was a game of very, very fine lines, and they'll appreciate that and that, you know, say, well, we lost it. But that's how it goes. That's how football works. Uh, so I don't think it'll have a big effect on them apart from the league table. Uh, but they've got, got Wolves away in the Cup on Monday, so it'll be interesting to see how he approaches that. Yeah, I mean, I'd slightly disagree with both of you in that I do think that it will have an effect upon them. Um, I, I, maybe, not, maybe not an immediate and direct effect, but I think that, you know, we've landed a punch and they've lost a game and the air of invincibility that they had is now gone. Um, and whether you like it or not, that that counts for something. When, you, when you're in the middle of that winner running, you feel like you can never lose. When you never yeah. concede a goal, you feel like you're never going to concede a goal. And the opposite is also true in that when you lose, sometimes it can feel like, oh, right, we've got a glass jaw now. And I said in the preview that I, I was curious as to whether this Liverpool have a glass jaw. And what I mean by that is I don't think that they'll they'll lose the next league game or anything like that. But I think where this really damages them is that, look, maybe I'm mental I, I'm saying it now. They're losing a league game in the next four weeks, right? I, I believe so. I, I, and I, yeah. from our point of view, I believe that what psychologically last night does for us in terms of, look, we played like that partially because it was Liverpool, but we also played like that because we can play like that. And I think Guardiola will be saying it doesn't matter if it's Liverpool or it's, you know, Wolves or it's Huddersfield. You have to play like that every week. So I think that four will become one 
in the next four or five weeks. And that's where the bottle will show. Um, right. I realize time is getting real, oh. real, real short. Very quickly. Sorry, Howard. Very, 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 very quickly then. Uh, just to say Salah had 32 touches of the ball, which was less than I think he's had all season. So the Laporte experiment worked, you know, in an unfamiliar position. Definitely. I think yeah. he did superb. And Sterling, I think, even though he frustrated me at times, as did uh, Sane, and he should have scored at the end, had his best game against Liverpool. Yeah, he did actually. Both both very, very, very fair shouts. Yeah. Last thing we're going to talk about is the atmosphere, because I know how much you love talking about the atmosphere, Howard. Um, it's a question that Phil Harris asked, um, whether how good was it and whether it's maybe the best ever at the Etihad. Um, now, you are the expert, sir, so take it away. <laughs> <Am I? laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm the one who starts all the chants in the South Stand. So. <laughs> uh, it was it was up there. I don't think it was absolutely, you know, spine tingling great. But every single fan that went in there, you know, unlike Bournemouth at home game or something like that, every fan was up for that. Every single fan, uh, and you, know, you could just feel it. It was like almost feral at time. It was just like it really transmitted, you know, onto the pitch. I think the players were up for it. The fans were up for it. If you're comparing it with the best ones, well, obviously, Hamburg will always stand out, even for a game of much less importance, though it didn't feel less important at the time. It felt very important. It was amazing and hard to beat, uh, but that was ultimately a disappointing night. Over the 90 minutes, it beats two examples I think of last season. Uh, the first half against Liverpool in the Champions League was an astonishing atmosphere. And the first half against United in the league game was an astonishing atmosphere, I thought. was as good as last night. But of course, the second half kind of ruins that because the game got away from us uh, and the atmosphere soon degenerated, in the, so to speak. So over 90 minutes, it's definitely, I think, in the top three because it was so on edge all throughout. Uh, it's it, a bit of a... I predicted a 2-1 in the preview show, so I actually got it right once and said it'd be a near the end. And, you know, it was nervy all the way through and everyone was on edge. Uh, it, you know, it was never a done deal for either team. Uh, and it, you felt that way. There was refereeing controversies and stuff and, you know, abuse and all sorts. Yeah, it had it all. It was absolutely superb. Uh, top, um, top three, I think, of atmospheres. Uh, the only other one I think of bizarrely was Everton at home in the the League Cup semi final. Do you think it made the difference? Do you think it made a difference last night? It's, I know it's yeah. a cliche when they say like you know, like you know the twelfth man and all that sort of stuff. Um, but do you think it genuinely made a difference last night? Yeah, I do. I think it, even the early minutes they shanked a couple of crosses, yeah, passes out of play. Yeah, and I think they were yeah. rattled for a sort of while. Uh, they got their you know the top class professionals so they got their act together pretty quickly but yeah it does make a difference in the big games no no two ways about it excellent excellent right I'm wrapping uh, this hey, up Sam, can I just uh, interject quickly and say I would love it if Howard started the songs off on the cell phone <laughs> <laughs> lose in a minute we're gonna lose it <laughs> seriously my voice my singing voices for the shower <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, hey, listen, uh, who was your man of the match, Steve? Bernardo Silva. Well, uh, Fernandinho, Bernardo Silva, Fernandinho, Bernardo Silva. Okay. Howard? Fernandinho. Okay. Mine, my, mine is Bernardo Silva. Um, lads, 
City beat Liverpool. There's a title City. race on. There's only four points in it. Rock and roll. All is well in the world again. Very, very, very happy new year. Very happy new year to both of you. Very happy new year to everybody who listened. This was the review. Um, we'll be back tomorrow on Saturday with a Friday show. We'll be back next week with more podcasts. We've got a scout report dropping on Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, yeah, plenty more content to come. Thanks for listening. As and always, up the blues. <laughs>